Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Wolf. It is April. April Fools. Yeah. We're actually recording on April 1st. Fools. Yeah. Day. We didn't know how to follow up last month for, you know, March Madness with letting 2B bots decide what we were going to do. So uh, I don't know what it was. How did we shake the tree on this one? How well, it's it? April Fool's Day, and we called it April. We were, it was like, oh, what movies could we talk about? Oh, how about movies that fool you? Yeah. But only once. But only once. So obviously you know what this one is, and the entire month is going to be like this where it has some big twist in it. This episode is 1999's The Sixth Sense. And this almost like this is kind of like, I don't want to say it started – it because because the other movie that one of the other movies are covering this month was like four years earlier, but this one was the one that I think put a lot more people in the seats because well yeah I mean I, you would call this a gimmick movie I mean is it a, is yeah. it a gimmick movie I mean it is a gimmick movie right I mean R- yeah and I, this is probably I don't want to oversimplify it or no. it sound like I'm insulting it but the, there's a twist that and the, but that's the thing is like when you get to that reveal of the movie and, and fuck you. It's been out 25 years next year. I'm, we're going to, I'm not going to even say there's going to be spoilers. We're going to talk about the movie. We're not going to care if you've seen a movie or not, because if you haven't, it's on you. April Fool's. <laughs> April Fool's. <laughs> well, the funny thing is when you get to the, the twist of revealing that Malcolm died at the very beginning, the best moment of the movie is where Cole tells his mom while they're sitting in the traffic jam. That's the best moment in the entire movie. That really is the real reveal of the movie because the movie is not about Bruce Willis. Nope. You know, the movie is really about Cole Sear and his ability to see dead people. Right. Bruce Willis is, you know, you, but you couldn't sell Haley Joel Osment and you couldn't even spell, sell Tony Collette as the leads in this. You can't because they're not. I mean, they are, but you, you can't sell that movie like that. So you put Bruce Willis on the front and, and say, come see this Bruce Willis movie. Well, it's funny because it is kind of a Bruce Willis movie, but not, it's weird. Like, I feel like this is kind of a a departure. Like, I was looking after, you know, and I was like, fuck, when, when did Bruce Willis ever do anything else? I mean, I want, I want to say maybe this is, I always say In Country, right, is like my favorite Bruce Willis performance. Right. But this is pretty good, man. I mean, yeah, no, he's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. You know, I, I was, I'm going to be completely honest. I was thinking going into this, I was like, this is, I, you know, because the cat's out of the bag. I know it. I know how it, and I, I, I've never right. tried to watch it again after the first time I saw it. I didn't right. own, I never, I've never owned it on DVD, Blu-ray, anything. I never owned it because the cat was out of the bag and I was like, oh, well, you know, fuck. I know the big reveal. So why bother? Right. right. But, mm-hmm. but watching it, there's so much more. Yep to it than the ending yeah yeah i agree it's and, and one of the things that i i think is true about all four of the movies is there is a replay value but it's once i want like you want to see what did i miss well, you know, what did i miss was was there any real telltale signs 
dude, there's one point in this where Bruce Willis is walking way before the reveal, like way before the reveal. It's right after we're with Olivia, his his wife, Anna, in her shop, and she's sitting there and just giving a gift to this guy who we think is cheating on her. So right, she's on giving him the book. Right, she's right. giving him the book. Right. And then you see the smashed glass on the front door, and then the, we see him walking down this alley. Well, when you turn to the front of him, he's holding his side. Never saw that before. Right. Where he got shot in the beginning of the movie. I never saw that before. I'm like, how the fuck? That? And I know I've seen this movie at least five times, five, six times. This is probably like my half dozen times I've seen it. But that's it's. there are little things like that. Uh, Frank Marshall talks about on the DVD about how he had the red theme throughout the whole right, thing. Right, the, the red, red Yeah, for sure. The red doorknob, the red door into the church when we first, when he first meet, we, that whole sequence, uh, when he first meets, uh, Cole. Right. In the church. Yeah. I would be interested. I've never seen that, uh, but it's not overplayed that red thing. No, but, it's not. But it's cool. It's really cool how they used it, you know, to tell the story, like, especially seeing it and sort of already knowing the end, but just the the way that they navigate with that red through, you know, and throughout. And then when you get to that reveal at the end where he's cutting back and you're seeing the red doorknob and you're seeing, right. you know, I mean, it's, it's very clever, very clever. Yeah. And Frank said that they were worried that they put too much red in there. I'm like, well, even knowing that, even when I went back and watched it again, even after seeing that featurette, I might go on, I still don't think you use it as much as you think you did. Right. I mean, like you said, you got the balloon, you got the doorknob, you got the door of the church. There was two other things his that I tent saw. that he's in with his safe space. Oh, by the way, and everybody's wondering his little his little antagonistic buddy there, Tommy. That's the kid from uh, Jurassic Park Three, the one that gets attacked with his stepfather at the beginning when he's parasailing. So he's the whole time you're watching and going, "Why? What? Why does this kid look familiar?" I'm like, well, well, that same year he did the Jurassic Park Three. That's why you recognize him from other stuff. But really, I think that's it, though. I don't think anybody in this movie doesn't come with their A game. And and I mean that across the board. And we talked recently when we did Dead Silence. How fucking great is Donnie Wahlberg at the beginning of this movie? And you think, even if he gave the same performance that he gave in this, like half as much of the time, how much more of an accomplished performer would he be right now? It's like I just don't think... I don't know. He's so fucking great in it. He kills that part as Vincent in the beginning. He really is fucking great in it. It isn't just the, you know, pulling the, the De Niro thing and, you know, going method and losing all the weight and everything, but he was great in it. Yeah, it's weird, man. It, it doesn't even look like him. No. Even knowing, <laughs> even knowing that. Right. Yeah. So when we saw this in the theater uh, originally, I think we saw it uh, second night of opening weekend. And get back then, man. People, people, I was saying this, people didn't spoil shit, right? Like right. your fun, your buddies weren't like, oh, hey, then <laughs> it wasn't tweeted or fucking blown up all over. Like people right. were like, dude, you got to go see this shit. I remember the whole marketing thing after the first week it came out, like in the newspaper when they still had newspapers and you'd open it and it would say, you know, you got to see it to believe, you know, the whole thing, right? Yes. Like, and, see, oh. see it before, see it before your friend spoils it or yes. see it so you can join in with the, at the see water it and cooler. See it again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. that. Yeah. And that's the thing is you, when opening weekend of a movie like this, you wanted to be able to sit around, hang out with your coworkers on Monday and talk about this shit. And I mean, for those of you that work Monday through Friday, you damn bankers, uh, but 
the chemistry, like I said, between Tony and and Haley is so good. Who else you got in this? Uh, even the, and that's well, like you get Olivia too. Williams is great as a, as as Anna. And uh, I mean, but dude, even like the the actors that you don't really know, like. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't. I don't know the actor's name, but the, the father, the little girl's father. You know that bit where he's watching the video. Yeah. Oh my god. Holy dude. shit, dude. I yeah. forgot about. See, I forgot about those moments. Right. The, the, yep. Those are like. There's so many moments in this movie that I didn't think about because all I remembered was the reveal. Right. And and it's been 25 years since I've seen it, and almost 25 years anyway. But those moments, the, the, all those other stuff, dude, all those other, everybody else, everybody in this movie is fucking solid. Yeah. There, there's not a bad performance in it. Down to the kids, the teachers, the, the other parents, like the parents, the, you know, the, Tommy's mother at the birthday party. I mean, dude, it, it, I mean, it's really a solid, I mean, there's not a bad performance in the movie, which is weird because usually there's, you know, there's usually something that's like, but this is like, I don't know, it's like lightning in a bottle, as they say. Yeah. It's weird because I was, like I said, I was sure I was going to be bored or I was going to be like, oh, fucking get on with it. When, when is it? Yeah, yeah, here it comes. Here comes the big ending. You're right. But, um, and, but it doesn't, we know what's really fucking beautiful about is the, like the, just the way the movie looks. And I think that's one of the things that sort of, when you watch it now, it has a timeless feel to it because of the, the color palette, the way it's lit. It really looks like a piece of classic cinema. It, this movie could have been made in 1974. Yep. And I need to point out something else, too, since you're talking about the color palette. Um, let me digress for a moment. Greg Wood is the performer that played Misha Barton's father that watches the video. He is a staple in all of Night Shyamalan's movies. He's, right. And so that's happening him. and, and uh, signs as well. But talk about the color palette. When Cole is in the car in the traffic jam, which is the scene I've already mentioned, they're pushing in, and we're talking about the red motif. Tony Collette's hair is super red in the movie. She's wearing, she's wearing red a red sweater, sweater, and she's doing all this stuff. When they push in on the car, and Cole says, I'm ready to tell you my secret now, the lighting and color palette, it all changes from red oh, yes. totally. to, to blues. And I'm like, never fucking saw that before. It was so... I'm like, how did I not get you went from that hot to cool look just like that? It was so nice and smooth. And I'm like, how did I not ever see that before? Right. It's because she's standing behind him. The well, the I mean, I I thought it was to take it. We're also supposed to. That's how we know that the woman is standing outside of his window behind him. Right. That's why that seems my favorite of the entire movie, because. You know, because she's standing right outside my window. And then she cuts, they, they reverse back to Tony, and then they cut back to Cole, and she's standing there. And I'm like, fuck. So fucking effective, dude. So good. And then the little story there that, that Cole tells. This movie is why when people see an M. Night Shyamalan movie. They're waiting they, for the gimmick. They're waiting for the gimmick, or they're waiting for that moment. They always feel, I think, the mistake that, that maybe Knight himself keeps making Dude, this movie works the way it does isn't because of the twist. It works this way because of the the, the way you wrote these characters. Yeah. It's it's why it's why Unbreakable works for me. It's not the reveal, it's the way he wrote Mr. Glass and way he the way he wrote I'm blanking Bruce Willis's character name in that. But it's the way he wrote these these characters. And that's another movie that could that feels like from another time. Absolutely. 
the performers in this are, are, are the standouts. Like you also mentioned the teachers in there. One of those teachers as Bruce Norris, he's in a few things, but he's also a playwright. But when he's stuttering Stanley and he starts teasing him, uh, uh, when Cole was teasing him through the ghost and where the ghost is like saying certain things, it's like fucked up, dude. By the way, I want to say something about the fucking school, dude. Dude. People, we, people were hanging themselves. There was a big burn. Fucking, I mean, the, yes. That that whole building was fucking haunted. But I think that was the thing. I think it starts with whatever happened back with the hanging days. And because of the ha- the constant haunting is how they had the fire in the theater and all the other stuff had come along the way with these ghosts and these spirits trying to have somebody help them, which is what Cole ends up realizing with the help of Malcolm of why these ghosts are coming to him. They just want help. And the first person and only person that we think he's helping is Misha Barton's character and their, her, her father. Right. And boy, we, we think that's the beginning of it. We think that's it. And then the, when you do get the reveal, you realize the entire fucking time, the spirit he's helping first is Malcolm and Misha Barton's character is actually the second. It's fucking such clever writing, but that's why everybody is waiting for night to deliver this movie again. And it's not about the twist. It's about the story and itself and the performances and the way these characters are written. Yeah. Look, if you tell me that this is a movie called old and everybody that's on this beach gets old and dies in accelerated, you know, lifetime. And I'm like, Okay, so the twist is what? <laughs> it's like if you don't, if the performances aren't there and the characters aren't there, that's not why that movie Devil works so well. The right. characters inside the elevator are just like some you want to see die, some you want to see live. You don't, you care about some, you can't don't care about some of the others because they're they're awful awful people. Is, we're talking about the color palette and you know, I mean, but also you know, Tak Fujimoto shot this thing. <laughs> so, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, who who also shot of, uh, and I would I would I would say that this movie is very similar composition and shot it, Silence of the Lambs, like the color temperature, you know, the tones, the colors. I mean, his work is beautiful. I mean, it, and, the, and nothing's rushed and nothing, you know, the camera moves very slowly. Right. And they do, they, they stay on fucking, they stay on people forever for, I mean, they stay on Willis for so long. There's that point where he's, um, where he's just sort of discovering, maybe he's starting to put it together. Right. And he's thinking the camera just stays on him forever. Right. At one point I was like, did my TV freeze? <laughs> I had forgotten, but they're just letting it all happen and letting it take its time. And they're, you know, they're not rushing to tell the story. And it's only an hour and 47 minutes too. That's the other crazy part. Right. Because it, it seemed, I, I would have, if you would have asked me, I would have said, oh, that's, it's at least two hours. We're going to be sitting there. You know, I thought 205, 206. And I double checked it. I'm like, whoa, that is not what I remember. That, but also says uh, how brisk the movie is to a certain degree, but but there is so much story being told. And we I know we talked about chemistry between the two leads, in this case Cole and Malcolm, but also the, the we do have that exchange with Olivia and Bruce. Yeah. As a couple in the wedding videos and at the very beginning of the movie. But their chemistry and be able to not communicate with each other in those quiet moments where he's already a spirit and he's already gone. Fuck, those are good moments, dude. It's just like, it's funny how you knowing, you know, I guess the idea is you've already conceded, you know, the twist. 
So you just kind right. of like settle into the rest of the story and you realize very quickly, like, you know what? We know the ending to the go to go story also, but it's the story it's told in between that Correct. makes it so fucking good. Because you see, uh, in, in, uh, in to Bruce's credit for his performance, you totally see that's you're, that's where you're looking at uh, Bruce Willis while he was alive and vibrant. Now you're looking at the and the go the, just the just the difference between the character, just just his difference between of uh, personalities, right. you know, in in this ghost world that he's you know wandering and trying to find his way out of and looking back and seeing him in the living world, you know, like the, there's the, when you see him and her in that, in those wedding videos, it's, 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 it, it really, you know, I mean, this time around, I, I don't think I'd ever would have noticed that 25 right. years ago. I probably didn't, wasn't paying any attention. Right. It's surprising what it, sometimes we talk about, like, you know, the whole premise is, but sometimes you watch something and you're shocked at how much it's still a good movie, but in a different way. Yeah. Or you look at it in a different way. You have different emotions watching it, you know, at 50 something as opposed right. to 30 something or 29, 28, whatever. Yeah. So many things about this movie that I, A, didn't remember. <laughs> B, right. I didn't think, you know, I was like, oh, well, how's this going to play out, you know? Bruce, Bruce, the last 10, 15 years of Bruce's career, he hasn't really made anything good like this. Good. You know what I mean? No, no. There's too many of those Emmett Furlow <laughs> straight to video movies out there. And, you know, it's sad. Like, then you go back and you watch this and you're like, fuck, man, he was a fucking great actor. Ever since Pulp Fiction had come out and I'd seen the Siskel and Ebert episode where um, they reviewed the movie. And there's something that said by by uh, Roger Ebert talking about how when they're doing the Marcellus Wallace scene where Marcellus is paying him off and they're coming to their agreement on throwing the fight, he says Bruce Willis says more in his eyes than he's done in the last eight years. Sure. I think that kind of performance is what he delivers in this. You're, you're anxiously waiting him to speak, because, but the rest of the time you're like, you're, he's... He's quietly just sitting there, whether he's going through his notes and going through um, notes. He's just it's just so much about it. It's the quiet moments of the movie that work so well. And you think yeah. about it. That's why when you see the you know the one ghost had a, who you know was playing with his dad's gun and blew his head off. Yep. The those moments like when they're not. You, it did take a music sting for you to be jarred by it because it's such a quiet movie. You had to be like, oh. Yeah. Night throws that little thing in there to kind of wake you up. You mentioned earlier when you look back and like maybe there were things that gave it away. You know what I was, what I noticed a lot more in this, and I was thinking about it and like, oh, am I supposed to be? Was the technology, him speaking into the, his little dictaphone and like, yeah. It seemed a little bit from another generation, even at that time. Right. It looked very like 1970s. Like maybe that's the, you know. Also, at one point I thought, is Haley Joel Osment the only person? Is everybody dead? Is he like in a coma? Is he right. like, you know what I mean? You start you start wondering, is Cole even, uh, you know, up and around? Is he, like, you know, is, right. he, is he in a coma? Is he in some kind of uh, 
maybe he's an maybe it's a medically induced coma and just whatever it is it's there's an episode of supernatural that reminded me a lot of this movie and where and and thoughts that i got i came from from this movie like is cole is cole really up and around and alive and living and breathing and living his life and these things are tormenting him or is this all a fever dream kind of thing for him or like you know a coma it's hard to uh, to look at moment other moments of it like the one when even when Malcolm's having his moment of realization as you're hearing Cole's voiceover and they're going back to key moments in there where Knight's going, hey, I showed you this already. I showed you this already. Yeah. I showed you this already. I still, even when he comes home, the way he stops when he sees the two chairs and sees mom sitting there and Malcolm sitting there, the way he just stops. Because that's only, I think, the second time he sees Malcolm, right? Yep. The first time it's in the church, and this is the second time. Right. You know, it's the way Knight plays with the whole movie, the way you tell a story in a movie, like, how did you get there? How we were, we're so used to characters finding their way to a location, you just accept it, because that's movie, that's how you tell a, movie, a story with moving pictures, is you don't always have an establishing shot where somebody is, you just kind of accept things the way they are, especially with a very quiet movie like this. And the thing was, we've already seen Cole's apartment. We, you know, it, it wasn't like we didn't see that before. So it wasn't much of a hard sell to see Malcolm sitting there waiting for Cole to come home. But I want to go back to something when you were talking about Takashi earlier and how much this looks like a 70s movie. You know what it reminded me of? And I had and I had to like go back through and double check. I'm like, what did he do in the 70s that makes me, that, that makes it feel like this movie? Star Wars? Badlands. <laughs> oh, Yeah. For sure. The color palette feels like Badlands. That's really, I mean, God, dude, what a career talk has had, but fuck, dude, that, yeah. I think when you said the 70s thing, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can't disagree with that because his career, when you look at the stuff he's done, he's like, we've, again, we've talked about some cinematographers, like when Eve was on, the best ones are the ones where you can't tell <laughs> that it is Takashi's work or if it's, I mean, the dude fucking did pretty in pink. Yeah. Singles. And Ferris Bueller, in, yeah, in the same year. Something wild in the same year. I mean, dude, he he was, fuck, he was guy that, I mean, I don't say was. I, mean, I shouldn't say was. He's a, a fucking phenomenal DP. And the way he works with color is, is very special. And this is one of those movies that really showcases that because of the way it moves around. The way color itself is its own character. I, I knew when I was like, I don't know, about 20 minutes of the movie, I'm like going, fuck, I forgot how amazing this movie is. And I already knew it was going to be the best of the four. I knew I was going to enjoy as much more than the other, four, the other three. I think with this one, though, again, other than those other three, you do have a decent replay um, option where you're like, what did I miss? This one, again, four, five, six, seven, eight times for me on this. And really is the performances. And I already recall when... When the Oscars came out, the nominations came out, and I thought Tony Collette was fucked. I thought she got fucked out of a nomination. And because I remember when people were doing that with, with Hereditary a few years ago, I'm like, yeah, dude, well, you know what? <laughs> the Academy's got a history yeah. of ignoring her performances. And uh, she was, seriously, man, you see a mother struggling with her child, and she's not mad. She's never mad. And that's why you have those moments, like three or four moments in the movie. She goes, look at my face, right? Right. He's always worried she's mad, but he's such, he's so highly strung, Cole is, because of what's going on with him. 
So he misinterprets his mom's concern and for the safety of her her child as her being mad at him when it's just right. concern like every parent has. We are, I was married at that point, but I I didn't have, you know it was eight years away from seven years away from having a kid, but I could relate to that because I was an uncle already, so I I got that part of it. Um, you know I I get the the motherly thing. So when you see her perform. Uh, um, and have those different moments of emotions where she's raging when you know out of just confusion as to what to do next um when you have that moment that almost reconciliation even though it's not even though it's just for cole it's it's cole's reconciliation and also it's his explanation to her of why i i have been the way i have it when she tells that but when he tells that story about his mom's brooch and they talk about so early in the movie that you don't think about it again. You know, as an audience, we know at that point, we know what why that butterfly brooch is end up ended up in his dress. Right. We know how it got there in general. We know a ghost put it there, but we don't know who. One of the things I really enjoy about the movie is who is like the ghosts aren't locked down to the the location like a lot of movies are. A lot of ghost story movies are. They're locked down to location. We talked about that with Ghost Story. That's another thing that's unique about Ghost Story is it's the people that are haunted and not right. the location, the, the home, the town, whatever it is. That's the thing is Cole is the one being haunted. And um, that's what's so unique about it because we're so programmed that it's a, it's a dwelling, it's a location that's haunted and not people. Right. It's uh, it's funny because I, you know, and I, you, you know me, so you know we're not going to get off. The, we're not going to get out of this episode without me mentioning Stir of Echoes. <laughs> no, but I mean, dude, I, if you wanted to get a, a double dose of this vibe, yeah, this and Stir of Echoes, it's so bizarre too that they came out so closely together. Yeah, and they're very similar yet not similar. Right. But even just just the vibes of these two movies, you know, I mean, 1999 was a good year for ghost stories. You know? oh, and people, a lot of people said 1999 was like probably one of the best movie years in film history. Right. Because they, they put so much out. Because we all thought the world was going to end. <laughs> we sure did, didn't we? It was 1999 was a weird year, man. It was like it, Y2K, baby. Y2K. Y2K. It was an amazing year for cinema. My grandfather, Joey's namesake, passed away late in that year. I had a shift in my career, switching over to post-production from working retail and working for FedEx. 1999 was a big fucking year across the board. Life-changing for a lot of people and most certainly was for me. And boy, I because of what was going on with me, I really went to the movies a lot and i really i think that's why i'm so married to movies like matrix and fight club because i was open for the escape and uh it's funny i always thought that was because of all the things that were happened to me why i felt cinema was so strong that year no they're just they're just a lot of good movies in 1999 yeah yeah it's that, funny it's, it's like we talked about on the show numerous times that was in a time where people were we were getting 10 movies from every studio every year and at least half of them were worth watching and, and like another two or three were really good. But think about how many movies from 1999 are in people's top 25. Sure. This one is special for a lot of reasons. And um, it's definitely going to differ from the other three from that, from that standpoint. Um, one of them is got a lot of big names in it. 
not necessarily just for the time for the time it was just well one of them is really a big movie for the director for the the stars in it but the other two are very independent movies and they they kind of fit a, a, a mold we were seeing a lot in that time of uh <laughs> yeah what's the what's the way of saying it um whatever the mini major attitude was of of these indies was here's a surprise thing that we're going to throw at you yeah well it was the it was the uh, april fooled of it all yeah, yeah. <laughs> the april fooled of it all the april well, fooled of it all well now you're looking at the episode and you're thinking to yourself wow that's a short episode or you saw that number before you even looked at it but you know you know we're going to love on a movie <laughs> if, right. it's, if it's a movie episode and it happens to be under 45 minutes so that is exactly what i i feel I, this movie like you noted for as good as it was for you know exciting as it was for that reveal and that like oh i hadn't seen that before or it was i hadn't seen anything like that in a long time is probably a better way of putting that decades later it really has its own yeah the best part the best part about it is not the thing that you liked most no back then right exactly it's it's this is this is the one i feel like i'll let you know as we as we go through the other films but i feel like this is the one that i'm gonna say i could still watch in spite of the gimmick right because the other ones i I don't feel i can no the next one up is so intertwined with the twist in a way that if you take the twist out there's no fucking movie and it doesn't feel earned anyway when you get no there. no not at all i mean i don't want to spoil it for anybody. no <laughs> but uh the movie after that i knew i figured it out just from seeing the trailer and went going okay and the one we close with is probably the most intricate storytelling wise of all four of them right and I think that's why it's a good one to close with. One thing I'll say, but I want to say before we jump out of this is, I, and I thought this while I was watching it, and I can't believe I didn't say it earlier, but uh, we, we, got, we got off on other, but I have to say it because I'm looking at the trailer right now and it keeps, it's been playing the whole time we're watching it. <laughs> Without the Sixth Sense, A24 wouldn't exist. I don't think so either. I think it's a fair statement. Dude, I mean, I'm telling you, look at the, just like watching the movie today and looking at the trailer right now, every A24 movie, they're, they're all sort of this sort of, they, they tried, they really try hard to make the sixth sense. Not only the way it's written, the way it looks, their color palette, everything's lifted from this movie. I swear to God. I think that's a fair statement for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that they, all their movies aren't good, but I'm just saying like, I feel like this is like, you know, this, this is the movie that like when you go to the A24 offices, if there were offices anymore <laughs> and you, you're a young director and they say, oh yeah, well, hey. Let's take you into this room and make you watch The Sixth Sense. <laughs> so that's right. what the movie should look like. That's what this it should is, sound like. This, this, this <laughs> is these are the beats, for, right? <laughs> this movie works for those reasons. I mean, can you imagine if they, if they would have tried to cut this movie into 91 minutes? I mean, how much you're losing and how, you know, it, it just, there, there's not any of that. You're, you're not feeling this movie. I feel like that's one of the things that kind of took away from this review of it, the way that you feel this movie. You're not just watching it. You're like feeling it. Right. If, if you let yourself get into it. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, like I said, it was, uh, I was convinced it was going to be bored out of my mind. I was, <laughs> I was like, I, you know, I was like, if I get through this, it'll be a fucking miracle. But I did. And I, I streamed it on Paramount plus by the way. Right. And it's, it's a really good transfer. Really good. Yep. Uh, yesterday, the 31st, it was, streaming at a couple different places today paramount plus 
and MGM's, uh, I think MGM Plus is the service it's called, is the yep. only other one that has it streaming right now. Of course, you can get Paramount Plus through, you know, through extra Prime Video channels, or you can just get the standalone. And you know how we all feel about Paramount Plus, so yeah, especially now that you can <laughs> you can bundle it with Showtime. Fast forward to next year, I would like to see, you know, uh, I don't know, Shout or somebody do a twenty fifth and do a featurette, do a bunch of featurettes, and and go back. Is everybody still around? Unfortunately, Bruce is probably going to be somebody unavailable to be involved in that. Right. You know, I think we're all uh, something that I think is very striking and very uh, influential on this viewing for me was was his state of uh, of being. You know, um, I, it's hard not to think about him the whole time you're watching this and how fucking oh, yeah, great, how great he is. Um, and we talked recently about how I, I was never a big fan of Moonlighting. I just don't like Sybil Danny. So I, I Sybil Danny, <laughs> Sybil Shepherd. <laughs> That's a different show with Civil Danny. No, I'm not Danny. <laughs> but I saw recently that there was a, there was like a reunion video they did probably like ten years ago, maybe. Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, that popped up on on um, uh, on YouTube, and I watched it. and It was lovely, and it was it was cool seeing all these little clips. Yeah, I think I'm, I know it's going to be hitting the streaming service soon. The the creator said he's going to be doing that, so I'm going to probably definitely watch that. You know what's crazy, dude? And what we didn't talk we, well, we didn't mention, but I'm going to mention it now is uh, this was Hollywood Pictures. Six cents was a, you know, this was a Disney movie. Everybody once upon a time. That was a weird thing about it too, because David Vogel was, was at the time when he was, he was the president of production at Walt Disney studios and he bought night script for $3 million with the stipulation also that he was going to direct it. Now he had only done one other movie. It was a big failure and it don't even think it was stateside. I think it might've been overseas. And soon after that, Disney canned Vogel. What ended up happening was Disney sold the rights to to Spyglass, which is a predominantly displayed at the beginning of the movie, their their uh, logo splash. But they also retained distribution rights and twelve and a half percent of the film's box office taking. Now, when you consider the movie, what made worldwide six six hundred million something like that? Million. Yeah, man. And two years into DVDs was one of the top selling DVDs of all time that first year that it came out. Um, yeah, it's not surprising that it, I think somebody owed Vogel some apologies, right? <laughs> Possibly. Or, or, or they wrote him a check and he was fine with that. I'd hope. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> overall, the movie cost 40 million bucks. And the way, like you noted earlier with the marketing on this was so clever. You know, the whole I see dead people got, how many times have we seen that mocked? Right, and, dude, and, yeah, I mean, it's it, it shows up in Scary Movie too. Yep. Across the board, every performance, and this is brilliant, like you noted from the teachers on up. By the way, oh, I wanted, there's some, one more thing I wanted to point out. See, because there's so many little things about it. I mentioned the whole music stings when you were seeing ghosts just for a startling effect, like the, the woman in the kitchen, the, you know, the battered woman that, that is in the kitchen that Cole stumbles upon thinking it's his mom. The kid shoots his head out of the back of it. Those stings are there, but you know when the stings aren't there is once we've seen them help Misha Barton. And right. the, the stings are gone because when he's yeah. when Cole is getting ready to do the play at school, the burn victim from the fire at the theater is there, and you don't hear it. She just turns and you see her makeup. And then as they're walking up the steps, then Stanley, his teacher, is telling them the theater was on, caught fire years ago. Cole says, yeah, I know. It was just, you, it, we know he's not scared anymore. He understands why he's not afraid of it. 
afraid right. of these spirits coming to him. So that's why you you get your closure. That's why when you get the twist for Malcolm, it's jarring in the moment, but you because you think the movie's over and you get this one little thing and you don't realize that oh fuck. Okay then. Yeah. One more just one note about performances <laughs> and then I'm going to stop is uh, the woman Lisa Summerauer who plays the bridesmaid who only has the scene in the video. Video. Yeah. She's dude. toasting them. Right? Fuck, dude. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like there's not a there's not a bad performance in I mean, no. even that which you 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 know in my mind, I didn't even remember that performance. Like from you know, it wasn't something that jumped up. But like, well, I was like, God, man, she is fucking just going for it. She's, yep. I mean, she is, yeah. I mean, as I'm saying, this movie's well acted. It's shot beautifully. Um, it's designed beautifully. The city of Philadelphia looks amazing. Right. Without looking like you know the Philadelphia. It's funny because it's Philadelphia. But it also looks like from the 1970s, man. <laughs> I'm just you know, this movie. They did a lot right. It, it looks like the ghost of Philadelphia is what it looks like, right? Like, it, <laughs> yeah. does that look like Phil? Would you imagine Philadelphia looks like that in 1999? No. I'm always surprised at how it looks. I'm like, well, yeah, duh, of course, Knight shoots in Philadelphia because that's what that's is where he's from. But it's as not only jarring, but it's as surprising as it is when how Pittsburgh looks in uh, Innocent Blood. You're like, kind of like, oh, okay. Because it, it, it does. It feels like because when a movie like this would have come out in the seventies, where is it at with these stoops and with these this architecture? The, the, it's a New York movie. Yeah, it's a New York movie, and that's why I think is, and that's another thing. Too. It's a, it's a as most of Knight's movies are that he shoots on location in Philly. It's a love. It's always a love letter to his hometown, and, and, it, and it, and it, and it really is. So again, like you noted, everything about it, the production design, art direction, everything, cinematography, everything is just. Shout out to the costume designer too. Seriously, you know, to use red is it's tough. <laughs> it is like again, it's one of those perfect storms when you look at it and you're just like, there's nothing. It's the way that it should be, right? Everything should be harmonious and you know work to tell the story and not pull this you know story in different directions. Like, oh, I love the production design, but I hated everything. You know, I mean, you or I love the cinematography, but everything else was terrible. There is nothing in this that ever makes no. me go. I, I can go. Oh, it's oh this thing. Oh, it, it's it just a dumb little technical thing. Fuck me if I have you know. It's been twenty four years. I've yet to see a fault in the movie. It's like I just don't. It just you think you just kind of stumble across it just watching it. Like I like I said, I've I've seen this a hell of a lot more than you have. But that perfect ball. We 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 talked about. We talked about Forrest Gump briefly. That was I don't know if that was before we started recording or not, but you have a movie like that. People will say is is like everything is hitting, and I go, yeah, but does it have longevity? Here we are talking about this movie twenty four years later, with the memory of oh yeah, that was a reveal, and that's it. When you realize when you sit down and watch it twenty four years later that there's so much more going on there, and the reveal is you know sitting at the kids table. It's not as much of not much of a as much as of the story that's being told. Or it's important of the story is being told. You know, Cole is dealing with his abilities is really the story. And Malcolm realizing he's a ghost the whole time is completely secondary. That's why we see it last. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, again, this movie, you know, it's, we're starting out on a high 
<laughs> I have a feeling it's good. Yeah. This we'll, is gonna, we'll see where we go. This is going to be a Snake Eater 3 for the month. <laughs> yep. We're starting out with the best, and it's just going to get progressively worse, or maybe not. I don't know. Dude, I have a, I'm look. There's gonna be plenty to talk about, especially with the next one, because I know how you feel about it, and I'm not too far behind you, right? Uh, anyway, so if you want to follow the show on socials, it's at Karate Pod on Twitter, Letterbox, and Insta. On Insta, you can follow Corey, Corey, and uh, Corey Culprit ninety seven, excuse me, and on Letterbox, it's Corey underscore Culp. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll 33 on your Instagram, or you can follow me at Tom Petty at Letterboxd.com. Oh, that's Tom Cody at Letterboxd.com. Tom Petty's that other guy. He won't back down. I might not either, but I won't go on record. You're not going to back down next week. 